that's stand for something? Get, yeah, it's, that's how you create IDs for your um, for your SKUs. <laughs> is it an acronym? Right? I don't think Isn't it's an acronym. It yeah, when you need to generate SKUs for your products, uh, it generates IDs for them. See, now I know Isn't you know what, what squid is because now you're making <laughs> cheesy jokes about it. <laughs> Skuid. Yeah, and they got this right. add-on module called Calamari. <laughs> Do they really? No. Are you kidding? Okay. It, they should. And when they, they should. come out with some add-on product, they should go with the th- that theme. <laughs> but how many how many things could you do with that? If you could do calamari, you could oh, do tentacle, lot, octopus. Uh, I mean, you could cup. just staying within it. What are those called? Cephalopods, right? Uh, I guess there's like a whole family of those, man. Yeah, and they all have different like specialties. Like some can change color and camouflage and. Shapeshifters, yeah. Mm. Squids are cool. Are those, do any of them? Well, do wait, is, there's a difference between squid and octopus, right? Yeah, yeah. Squid is um, well, they range from pretty small to you know these. Have you seen these giant squid that that go wash up on shore every now and then? That's like as big as a whale. Yeah, I, I was thinking that. It's just that a lot of my analogies that are whatever I was coming up with. I think I was thinking the octopus more than squid. <laughs> Oh, okay. But I guess if they're all cephalopods in that family, then. Yeah, because squid, right, which is calamari, right? Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, they have tentacles too, but they're, yeah, I think they're different, quite a bit different than octopus. And squid Uh, have the long tubular body, and uh, octopus don't have that. Anyway, we are way off topic. So, so, you, so you're work, so you've been working with squid. I know that much. Yeah, and and yeah, squid has actually nothing to do with water life. (laughs) So just to kind of level set on what squid is. What if you were coding on the beach? I guess. All right. Sorry. I guess squid is so powerful and so (laughs) awesome that as a Salesforce administrator, you could sit on the beach and create custom screens. It's so awesome. (laughs) Everything is awesome. Oh, it is awesome. I was, I was looking for an excuse to play that. I was expecting the, the Benioff awesome. Oh, I don't know if I have that. I do have this. We are so excited. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know you know what Squid is because I know we talked about it and you you mentioned that you think that Salesforce, it wouldn't, you wouldn't be surprised if Salesforce bought them. But I would I, not. In fact... Yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna predict that Salesforce will buy them. I also have another acquisition prediction, but I'll save that for later in the show. I actually, the more I work with Squid, the more I don't think they'll buy them. So, anyways, let me let me talk about Squid, and we'll we'll cover what it is and <clears throat> kind of the things I like about it and the things I don't like about it, and then and then we can get into pros and cons of why we think it would be something that Salesforce would be interested in acquiring. Cool. So Squid is basically, it's a, what I thought it was, it isn't, you know, I thought it was this component library um, where you could, where they just give you like a drop down or a calendar or a radio button or something along those lines. And you could use them in your pages and they'd be all custom styled. And that's really not what it is. It's more of a screen builder. So it's, it's more of a tool to build and kit together screens, kind of like you would with a, with the the native page editor. But you get a little bit more flexibility. You can create custom tables, and those tables can be editable. You can add and remove records. So mass editing records and things like that is all built into it. 
And you do get other kind of specialty components like calendars and things like that you can build. Um, and so it's all a drag and drop interface. Um, there's a couple of things to help you with layout and how to position it. And you can build some really, really nice custom screens from it just from drag and drop. No, no actual coding. Yeah. So it's, um, it's very, it's all about editing data structures, right? So you, you might have, you know, an account that has related contacts and opportunities. And if you just kind of dis, you provide what query or what filter or what view into the, into that graph of objects you want to edit. And then this thing lets you build a UI to, to do that really pretty easily. Right. Yeah. It basically gives you a query builder tool. And with that, you build what's called a model <clears throat> and a model is really just your query. And so you, you tell it what object you want to query, what fields to grab, um, what selection criteria there is, you know, with this ID, or you can pa- have it pull an ID from a URL if you're doing it that way, or there's a lot of different ways to kind of manage inputs into that query. And then once you have a model, all your components, um, when you put them on the page, they'll ask you which comp- which model you're dealing with, because you can create a ton of models. You can create models for different things. So you could have a, a one screen. Essentially, you could create your own console screen, that has, you know, one section with your account, one section with your contacts, one section with opportunities, all on the same screen. And so with it, each component you drag, you tell it which model to use. Mm. So that's kind of a, a little bit of a new abstraction. Because Salesforce, you know, whether it's force.com or any of the tools they provide, they don't really have that notion of building. Like for this particular module that we're creating, you know, we need a, we need, we, we're going to build this model. That's kind of a custom, um, arrangement of these relationships of objects. Right. Is that, is that kind of correct? I hesitate to say yes, because you essentially create models, but they're still kind of independent. You can say you can make one model dependent on another, but it's, it's kind of artificial. It's not like you're creating a, whole new data model where things are kind of interrelated. It's still very much each one of them is a query. So it's still very expensive to create, you know, 10, 10 different models because that's 10 different queries. And there's, there's really no efficiency gain from it. In fact, that's kind of one of my cons to, to the way squid works is it makes it really easy to create all these models. And in some cases you have to create more models than you normally would if you were hand coding and visual force. But for someone who's not a coder and needs to get the same same thing done, um, they certainly can do it. I kind of understand <laughs> it. Yeah, it takes some getting used to it once you work with it. And they do have a pretty good community. Um, their documentation is good and getting better. I've noticed a few updates. Um, there are still a lot of things, though, I had to really hunt and peck for, just kind of mess around until I figured it out. But moving on from the model, once you have your model, you can, of course you know, add a table or some other functionality to the screen, attach it to that model. And it has built in save and edit functionality and delete functionality. Um, and it, and you can enable mass editing. You can also enable sorting on columns and in particular this table component, which is the main component that most people use it for. Um, so you get custom sorting, you can create custom filters and all those kind of things, but they're, it's kind of interesting how it's implemented and essentially everything you're doing is client side. So whenever you create all these models and everything and you run the page, um, all it's doing is loading up a visual force page, but then it client side runs all its JavaScript code to, 
do the queries and make generate the models. And then it's got a templating system that actually generates all the UI stuff. Um, and so it, it's, it's like that one layer removed. Whereas Visual Force is a little closer to Salesforce because it's doing the rendering server side. Now you've kind of moved it and distracted it further because now it's all client side rendering. All right. So this thing is the, the browser, the in app, the in browser application is issuing queries to Salesforce's like SOAP API or something. Or rest of the rest API. And it's, it's, it's not going through a server. It's going directly to the API. Right. It's either using some kind of remoting function, which it would be going to the server if it was remoting. Um, what do you mean by remoting? Actually it's not doing remoting cause that requires some kind of post back. Um, well maybe not. No, it doesn't either way. It's either using remoting JavaScript remoting, which is calling a method on a, on one of your controllers and getting that data back. Um, I still think that requires a controller. So it's probably not that. It's It's probably more than likely either Apex, the JavaScript Apex API, um, or some kind of REST API, which I doubt, um, Mm. or SOAP. It's it's one of those three technologies. And I haven't digged further to see exactly what mechanism it is, but it is running queries client-side against Salesforce. Okay. I thought I knew everything about it until you asked that question, and I just fumbled (laughs) it. Um. I, the the templating uh, system is is um it's a JavaScript client side templating system so it's okay. it's mustache JS and it, oh nice so you basically you create your page and your markup and then you give it these double um, curly brackets and they look like mustaches hence mustache yep and then you put your merge field in, the, in into it and so when when the model comes into play and loads on the page then it just re- does a find and replace on all those things. Yeah, that's cool. I like mustache. I mean, it's a heck of a lot better markup language than visual force, or it's just simpler and easier and better to read. And just, I don't know, makes more sense. Well, it's a, it's kind of, it's a new way of developing. Whereas, you know, the whole server side post back stuff is kind of considered kind of ancient, I guess by now. I mean, that's the old, that's the old way of doing things. Now everything is all about, you know, the client side rendering, you know, communicating with APIs and all those kind of things versus submitting and, and responding and doing postbacks and managing view state and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I mean, you're still posting when you need to get data or submit something or whatever, but um, you're not re-rendering the page. Those posts are all done like with, you know, the XML HTTP request object. And you're usually dealing with something like JavaScript, which is, you know, mm-hmm. it's a much leaner data set than, than re-rendering yeah. your entire HTML page. Right. So, um, yeah, so, okay, so it's client-side templating. It's probably doing, you know, XHRs for, to get to get the data and, to, you know, to post changes and commands and things. Um, all right, makes sense. Mustache for the templates. Yeah, and it also has, and I really, it also has mobile support, but I haven't really gotten into using that at all just yet, but it does have support for mobile, so... That was going to be my next question. So I guess with the templating they give you, um, is it what, so what does it give you as far as UI widgets and things? Are you, you know, are you on your own? Are you generating your own, um, HTML markup or through mustache somehow? Or is it expanding your mustache, you know, uh, escaped commands or, you know, your mustache markup? Is it generating, you know, HTML out of those? 
and like, you know, you know, like you said, it's got the tables and the columns and they're sortable. And so that's, that's all kinds of, that's a lot of markup and CSS, you know, and all that kind of stuff. So is it doing all that for you or you're kind of getting all that for free? Yeah, you're getting all that for free. You're pretty much just drag and drop onto the page and it's building that for you. Um, it's actually, I really like the way they designed the system. What happens is when you drag something onto the page, um, it's keeping track of all the things you put onto the page and all the models you create and pretty much every, all the metadata in an XML file. And that XML file is accessible. You can, there's a little link at the bottom of your screen that will let you switch to XML view. They that that XML does get stored into Salesforce, and I did query, <laughs> I did query those tables of how they're storing that, and I do see how they're tape they're storing that data. I understand why they're doing it, but it's I hate it. <laughs> I, hate, I hate what they had to do. They basically have like four fields defined to store that XML, and then as it gets bigger, it starts consuming you know the first field, and then the second field, and then the, the third field. So they basically have to concatenate all those to rebuild the entire file, depending on how much is on your screen. Is that because a text field can only hold, what is it, 32,000 characters? Right, yeah. It's to get around the limit of how much a field can hold. Wow. And you have screens that are more than 32,000 characters? Well, these screens are, it's it's all the XML data that represents this. So it's not just mm-hmm. what you dragged and what you built, but all the metadata that supports it getting rebuilt when you load the screen back up to edit or even oh, to, okay. to render it. Gotcha. But... I'm glad they do it because I've had instances where the UI, the builder kind of messed up on me where I removed a component for some reason it screwed up and it didn't remove it and it was stuck on the screen and I couldn't remove it. And I just went into the XML, found it and removed it from there, saved it and went back in the screen and it was fine. Um, I've also had cases where I had to kind of duplicate certain, certain functionality or duplicate a model. Um, and I didn't want to rebuild all the filter criteria and all that kind of stuff. I just wanted to change certain things, maybe make it an aggregate instead of a, instead of the actual query. Um, and so I would just go into the XML, copy that model, paste it, and then remove the stuff I didn't want out of it, save it, and then went back in the editor and I can still mess with it in the editor, just like I would anything else. Hmm. Um, yeah, that's good. I mean, not many people are going to know to do that. Right. So that's, that's actually kind of a bummer that you had to do that in one case <laughs> in order to get it to work, but no. Well, there's, there's help on the, on the, their community site. So there's, that's kind of where I said their community is actually pretty good. So if you come across a problem or something, someone will respond and say, Hey, you can do this. Yeah. Um, It's also kind of layered in a way that yes, you can just stick to the standard drag and drop, but you can also kind of create your own little components or create what's called a little template component and basically write your own markup in that. Um, You can create little Java, basically, basically little JavaScript pages that, that they call snippets. So you can create a, a JavaScript file that knows how to render a certain type of component and then just have that called within your page and have that load and render. So there's a lot more functionality. You can get pretty advanced with it if you're really good with JavaScript. So the, so not only is it good for admins that are just, you know, building these screens and, and everything together, but when you need to do something a little more advanced with those pages, you have that ability because you, you can, you can inject your JavaScript in a lot of different ways. Okay. Just okay. Well, I think we've like <laughs> laid the the background for what this thing is. So what do you what do you like and what don't you like? Well, I mean, I mentioned some of the things I liked. I liked, you know, how easy it is to drag and drop, how easy it is to create some of those models. Um 
I like having access to the to the underlying data, that XML data, because that gives me a way to do a lot of different things. Um, I don't really, I guess I can start getting to some of the things I don't like. Um, I wish it had some kind of theming aspect to it. Um, I mean, you can create your own CSS and you can restyle just about everything. Well, you can restyle everything. Um, some of it is easily accessible because you can load a component onto the screen and give it a CSS tag, and then you could target that. Um, or you can get a little more ambitious and run the page, inspect the HTML that's generated, and look at all the tags that are there, and, and of course, modify the CSS for those. But I wish it had something, or at least some kind of mode that made it look like Salesforce. Because I'm one of those guys that's that believes that if you're going to do something custom in Salesforce, your users really shouldn't know that it's custom, that it should just kind of blend in with the environment that, yes, it can have all sorts of new features that Salesforce doesn't have, but that it looks like it fits in that world in that application. Well, half of, half of the functionality that Salesforce has now that's from acquisitions looks like it's from a completely different universe. <laughs> I know, I know. And that bugs me and that bothers me. There's even some things in there that still look like the old classic interface. Yep. I mean, if you dig far enough, you'll find something that still has that interface. And th- that's and honestly, that's a tell a telltale sign that Salesforce has become enterprise software because you know, the elegance, the UI, all that stuff just doesn't matter near as much. Yeah. It's all about having the features that C level people are going to want to buy. So that the theme that comes with, with squid is kind of okay. I mean, it doesn't look bad. It, it looks pretty good, but it's still, it, it feels like that kind of old school web 2.0 style UI, you know, these really big tabs with these really heavy gradients and wait, are we not on web 2.0 anymore? What are we on? Which version of web are we on now? I think, I think it's all considered flat design now. Is that three? Is that (laughs) (laughs) 3.0? No, it's, it's just, it's just generational. Like each generation gets its own nickname. We're back to flat. I think it's just flat though. Right. Anyway. So it's very bubbly still very bubbly and glassy looking. Yeah, there, I mean, some of the default settings and things like that, like the tabs and backgrounds and things like that. Um, a lot of gray on the page, like whenever you, you can add like a form editor that's basically kind of like a, a standard detail screen for one record. Um, and it's basically this this component you drag on the page and you drag your fields and you can put the columns anywhere you want, which is really nice, but it's all within this kind of gray background. So it's it feels very, even that feels even older than, than Web 2.0. It feels very classic windows form, you know, I want to say combination of flat with stone chisel look. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, what's even worse is when like you've got text boxes that the font size is like two points smaller than like the font size that she's on the buttons and one button will have a font size that's a little bit bigger and the, or the kerning's not right. Just <laughs> like if you have any eye for this stuff, it it'll, you'll be like, wait a minute, what's wrong with the screen? You know, it'll bother you. Yeah. But uh, yeah. I mean, if you're just drag and drop stuff on the screen, that it's it's it doesn't look bad. It actually looks pretty good, and it's usable. Um, the problem is, is you can actually customize it quite a bit with point and click. Like you can give tabs an icon, and they have like this ready set of icons that you can use. But you know, it comes down to some of the things I hate is that non designers designing screens, it, it it it's prone to some ugly stuff. It's prone to people creating gigantic buttons with huge mm. icons that really are unnecessary. They do nothing to to enhance the user experience or help the user experience. Um, 
there are just a lot of things you can do that just would make the page really ugly or hard and chaotic to use. But so are you saying that's something that skew or squid has done wrong or something that just they're no, this no. Is what, it's going to be abused, right? Is what yeah, it, it's just okay. it's just part of having a flexible tool like this. And if there's no responsibility or, or care taken into the design and the usability of it, you could easily just drag and drop a bunch of stuff on the screen, create a hundred models, and it'll run slow and it'll be complicated to use and it'll be hard to maintain. This really reminds me of like Microsoft Access Forms for Salesforce. Kind of. Yeah, I mean, and, and you could boy, you can make some really ugly stuff with that. I mean, you can make stuff that looked good, right? But I mean, by default, if you if you weren't taking care, right, to have things laid out well, I mean, yes, you would see just horrendous screens <laughs> that you know the IT department developer right. put together. And it's it it it's definitely not immune to that. I mean, any kind of custom UI generator that gives you a lot of flexibility to do a lot of different things inherently comes with the risk of people doing a lot of really bad things. Right. Um, so yeah, it's definitely not something squid is responsible for or really can do much to curb without just locking it down and taking away a bunch of functionality, which people would hate more. I think it's better to try and trust the community to learn and, and learn to design yeah. things the right way. All right. So let's get to the, the nitty. I want to get to the juicy stuff. Like what sucks? What do you not like about this? So there's a, there's a lot of things I don't like about it. And one of the main things is deploying. There's really no deployment mechanism because it's data. So the mm. best way I found to deploy it, um, actually, <clears throat> yeah, I'm going to stick with that. You're just supposed to build everything in production, John. I'm, I'm going to get to that. <laughs> I was going to sidetrack, but then I was going to say, nope, let me finish the statement. I, what, I, what I do, because I, te- I do it in, in test in, in a sandbox, and I have other people look at it and say, yes, this is what we want. And then I deploy it. Well, I can't deploy it because it's all data. So what I have to do is I have to go into the XML view, select all copy, go into production. And and if the page doesn't already exist, create the page and then paste the XML into it and save it. Copy and paste deployment. Yeah. You're literally copying and pasting your code. From so that's what I don't like about it. It's, it's completely outside of any kind of deployment. I mean, as crappy as deployment is on Salesforce or at least limited, this is far worse because you're down to copy and pasting. Yeah. The other thing that, which, which we're getting to is it's really designed to be used in production. I mean, they want you to make changes and to the pages and everything. Well, they don't want you, but that's what most people are doing. They're loading into production. They're creating their pages and making them available and people are using them. And then when they really change them, they change them and save them, but that's changing live, a live application. So if yeah. you break it, it's broken. But this is for, this is a tool that's, I mean, I I just was looking at their website. I mean, it's really marketed so that non-developers can build stuff. And the biggest complaint I get from people that I work with in the Salesforce business that aren't developers are, gosh, why do you have to do that in Sandbox? Now I have to, you know, oh, we have to deploy. Oh, yeah, we have to refresh the Sandbox. Can't, can't we just do that in production? That's what they always want to know. We just do it in production. Can we just build this in production? Even though you've explained it to them right. fifteen hundred times over the past five years, yeah. So it definitely promotes a a very bad approach to software development. Um, the other thing is it because it's um, it kind of operates in its own plane, and you're not creating like new classes or anything. It's out completely outside of the the testing infrastructure of of like deploying an Apex and everything, right. right? Yep. So if you do break things or whatever, you're the, the platform is not going to help you with that at all. 
Right. Now, in terms of saving and editing records, I mean, all of that is the native DML operations. So anything that that normally would handle is still gets handled. Um, it's just more of the, the way it's laid out in the UI, um, what, whether or not your filters are correct and being done correctly, or whether or not you have the right model attached and you're saving the data to the right place. Um, those are the kind of gotchas. If you're doing custom templating, I found that if I screwed up in my JavaScript somewhere, didn't have error handling in my JavaScript, page wouldn't load. It would stop yeah. loading because mm. I broke the, the entire thing. Did you like get the white screen yep. of death or white screen of death? Mm. Yeah. In some cases you'll get a little error on the screen. If, if it happens somewhere that they can catch it, um, meaning squid squids engine can catch it. Mm-hmm. Um, then you'll get a little error. Um, but if you screwed up bad enough, it'll, and it, it wasn't even that hard to screw it up bad enough. I think I had like a few missing semicolons or some odd thing that just kind of prevented it from, Rendered the JavaScript from compiling and, and actually getting rendered. Yeah. So, I mean, I've got kind of two sayings I like to use for these types of things. Actually, now that I think about it, they kind of overlap. But one of them is, you know, these things should make the easy stuff easy and the hard stuff possible. Um, and, I, of course, I don't. And I don't know that you do either. I don't know how much if you've had long enough to work on this, but I don't know if this thing does make the hard stuff. Obviously it makes some easy stuff easy and might even make some moderately difficult stuff easier than it would be without it. I mean, that's kind of the whole point of it. Right. Um, but does it make the hard stuff possible? And then my second thing is these things need to, yes, they have their own abstraction, their own tool set that they operate in. Um, but do they provide that as an escape hatch so that we need to get outside of their model or you need to build something that they didn't even envision, right? Can, is it still possible to do like on top of this thing or at least in conjunction with, um, and these things usually fail at that. Um, so I don't know. I don't know if you have any opinions on that or if you, yeah, I haven't really tried to say embed like a visual force, visual force component or page or anything like that into it. Um, I think you can though. Um, I have gotten it to render, um, Google, uh, Google charts onto it. But all that's kind of JavaScript rendering anyway, so that was you know something that was fairly easy. Um, it does make some things harder. Um, I, I created a. I gotta stop saying "um," oh, man. Ding me for that. <laughs> I just said it like four or five times in a row. <laughs> so, anyways, I was about to say "um" oh, again. Damn it. <laughs> so, anyways, I, I had to build a screen that had a table. And I wanted to summarize some of that information up at the top, kind of a kind of a highlighted status bar that had counts and things like that of the records. Well, normally, if I was building the page, the page from scratch, I could query my data, loop through it, or aggregate it somehow and display it on the page. But with Squid, you can't really loop through your data set like that. I mean, you can in JavaScript, but it's more trouble. It's, it's a lot of work. It, it takes a lot more work to do it than just kind of you would create the model or create the query, loop through it, add your results to some property and then use that property somewhere on your screen. Everything's very model centric. So what I had to do is create the table and then copy that model because there was no clone button. There probably should be a clone for models, but clone that model, turn it into an aggregate, but keep all the same selection criteria and then, um, and then put my total somewhere. So I couldn't use the same data to create my total. And the other thing mm-hmm. is, is because they're two separate models, if they change or add something to the table, because that's really easy to do is, is to add inline 
rows mm-hmm. to your table. I had to create some JavaScript to tell that model to update itself because you can't really link them together. So that was more work that I had to do. Yeah. But as long as it's possible, that's at least that's good. It's possible, but it's not, it's not efficient either because mm. now I'm doing, you know, twice the queries I normally would. And the queries <laughs> do add up. I mean, I've created a page that had 20, 20 queries on it, 20 models. There's it some that have done these, more. Reminds me of these um, generally, you know, drag and drop integration platforms that are designed for like a, you know, like a data person or an administrator to kind of build integrations, I guess. Um, you know, simple stuff and stuff, and integrations that fit the model of how they think integrations should work or that can connect to things that they had thought about ahead of time. That that's the happy path, right? Right. It's, you know, when you want, you need to do, you know, very specific or use case specific types of things that, it can either get really difficult, like they're making something that's moderately difficult, very difficult, or just not even possible, which is why I generally avoid the, you know, informaticas and boomies and all those types of things. Right. I do it when I have to, but it's uh, not desirable. Yeah. I mean, overall, I think it's, I think it's a great tool. I, I really like that you can custom build these screens and you can do them really fast. Um, once you kind of get the knack for it and learn kind of some of the nuances of not doing one thing or, making sure to turn one flag on because other things act really quirky. Once you get past that, you're building pages pretty quickly. So I think from a, from an admin perspective or someone who needs to build these screens and doesn't have access to a developer, it's a really great tool. Um, it is, it is expensive. It's one of those, it's, it's another one of those t- tools or applications that's based on how many users you have in the system. Let me, let me guess. Cause I don't think you ever told me this. Maybe you did, but I don't remember. I'm going to guess. $10 per user per month. Uh, I th- Is it more than that? I think that might be right. I'll have to look it up because I was unprepared for that <laughs> question. And it may be just dependent on, I mean, it's like, one of the, you know, call your salesperson because that's the way all Salesforce is. Salesforce is <laughs> so hard to do business with. It is. Get, Anything you want, get started today, $10 yeah. per user per month. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but they also have like so. some kind of enterprise get a quote option. However, yeah, if, you, uh, if you're a developer and you want to learn this because you want to do it or you have clients who are doing it, you can get a free version for your developer org. So you can install it in your developer org. I think you send an email, which I did. I just, it's just been a while and they'll just register your account and it's free and you have access to all the tools and everything. So that's good. So yeah, from that perspective, you know, you have fr- full range to get a developer account and play around with it and do whatever you want with it. And even though this sounded like a 30 minute ad, they have paid us nothing and <laughs> they're not sponsoring the show. Right. Oh, but shame, we got to get to why them. I think Salesforce would not acquire them. Oh, okay. And it's because of those cons because Salesforce has always been very protective about how code is run, how code is used in their system. And the fact that you can create a hundred different models and the fact that you can, you're basically bypassing all of their, all of their, yeah, but Salesforce promulgates a JavaScript library that lets you call the SOAP and REST APIs from JavaScript really easily. I so know. they already allow you to bypass. I, I don't know. I, I know. I, mean, I know. In fact, that's one of my next topics. Um, but to me, finish this okay. thought off, yeah, All right. let me get your thoughts on that. On Salesforce? I just think that, I mean, they've they've bought 
they've made acquisitions before that made less than, sense than this. So that's why that's my sole rationale. This makes more sense than some other other acquisitions have. Well, I think I think Squid did it did a lot of things right in the way they implemented it and the way they designed it. And I think as Salesforce acquired it, it would be a developer acquisition, but it would also be take some of the things that they did and incorporate that into Salesforce, but it wouldn't be, you know, here's squid. It's automatically available in everyone's org because we bought it type of thing. I think they would need to change quite a bit of it for it to fit within their environment. Yeah. Especially when it comes to deployments, deployments is, is probably the biggest gap right now for it. At least from my perspective. Yeah. Maybe Salesforce would turn some of that stuff into actual metadata. That's true. I mean, that whole XML file could, could go away and it becomes all just kind of their backend metadata repository type stuff. Yeah. Which is kind of interesting that they don't let you, I never thought about that, but you really can't create your own metadata types. Nope. Yeah. I think there's just too much custom stuff around, right around that. I mean, this is, again, we can't, you know, we should never forget. This is just a CRM system that we're customizing, even though they wanted you to think it's force.com. And really it's everything about this is built to enable a CRM system and to whatever extent that those components can be reused. Great. Reuse them and we'll call it force.com. Right. But that, All right. That's a good segue to my next topic, which is, um, Oh, you're hogging the topics, but go ahead. I am going to hog the topics because this, <laughs> this is a segue. This, this is, I'm producing you this lose. one. <laughs> that's for me. I lose. That's right. Okay. <laughs> I need a, lo- a lose button too. So I can ding you. You have all the power. You have a bell, an analog bell. I mean, the power, you know, it's like a return to analog nowadays, man. I know. You could even do some fancy like triangle work. Like, uh, <laughs> anyway. Uh, all right. That was so horrible. <laughs> no worse than my son. My son has gotten, has gotten a hold of it and I don't know how long it's going to survive. He's, he runs around the house banging it all day. <clears throat> well, he better not break it. Cause I paid 50 bucks for these things, man. I know one day you're, I'm going to call you kidding. up and go, uh, <laughs> they were five, they were like $5. I'm going to call you up and go, where'd you buy that? Cause I have to replace it now. <laughs> Just amazon.com and buy the cheapest bill you can get. And that's yeah. what they are. <laughs> so visual force remote objects. Do you know what that is or heard of it? VROs. Yeah, man. I've been, uh, I go way back with VROs in Salesforce. No, <laughs> I was gonna say because they're just uh, as far as I know, it's a developer pilot right now. <laughs> no, uh, so it, it, in in the same way that Squid kind of does everything client side, Salesforce is kind of giving you that ability with remoting objects. And what it is, it's a way for you to kind of define an object model in your Apex page, and that model becomes accessible in your JavaScript. And so. You can create a, a define a model or a, yeah a remote object model that's an account, and because that model will be loaded and represented as JavaScript, you could then use templating tools like Mustache or Handlebars or whatever your favorite one is, and pass that data model to that. And now you can mix and match your rendering, so you can have parts of it rendering um, with postbacks with standard Visual Force stuff, and but you can also have you know just your your uh, your templating system, your JavaScript templating system, loading data from that model. And I really think that's okay. that came about to support mobile, mobile this interfaces. client side templating, basically yep. the VROs. Okay. Yeah. I really think that what drove this is, is mobile. You mean Salesforce one <laughs> Salesforce one. 
Uh, which basically but Salesforce is one mobile. is everything. That's the yeah, entire platform. Really, this is yeah. it's more so than I, just mobile. So I, I still differentiate it from mobile. All right, I have a little tidbit that I'm going to throw in now because uh, I just happened to read this earlier and it makes sense now. Um, over, I just saw the survey. I don't know how new this is. Might have been a month or two ago, but over sixty percent of the Dreamforce audience. So they surveyed Dreamforce people that went to Dreamforce last year. Over sixty percent of them think that Salesforce One is a mobile app. I'm not surprised. Well, and the funny thing is, is and you know, there's I've I read a couple of fairly in depth articles about just all the ridiculous amount of confusion around Salesforce One, but it basically is it basically is about mobile. In fact, well, I don't want to I don't want to uh, derail your thing, but anyway, that's no. That go, ahead, funny. go ahead, go ahead, because I'm I'm done with that. Well, I mean, so if you look at uh, okay, here's the Salesforce One AP you know developer guide. Chapter one, introducing the Salesforce one platform mobile has become the new normal for staying connected in both our personal and professional lives. You know, how, and then the whole paragraph goes on next paragraph. However, until now mobile apps and enterprise have often lagged behind blah, 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 blah. Third paragraph Salesforce, Salesforce one solves the problem of lack of mobile specialists, blah, 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 blah. It's like the whole thing is about mobile. I mean, yes, they did API enable some things that might not have been API enabled before. I don't know if it was, you know, 10 times uh, what it was before. 10, hello. 10 times, you know. <laughs> I don't know if it was 10 times, but they did. They probably, I mean, I'm looking through the list here. Authentication, SOAP, REST, metadata, bulk, streaming, data.com, SOCL, SOCL, Apex. These are things that are already tooling, analytics. I guess analytics is fairly new. I'm not sure if that was new. You know, chatter, REST. I mean, that was already there. Exact target, I don't know. Rating six, I don't know. Pardo, I don't know. Somebody, or Pardot, Pardo. I think it's Pardot. Pardot. Pardot, Pardot me, ma'am. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea how to pronounce that. I think it's Pardot. I think. Pardot. It's like French or something. Uh, anyway. Yeah. It's so no wonder people, th- it's, it really is about mobile. It's, well, it's about mobile and honestly, these in these single page apps, just like this squid thing we're talking about. It's all, once it loads, it's, it's in the whole app is running in the browser. It's basically a single page app, you know? Right. Um, I think, so I think Salesforce one is all about single page apps and mobile. And, you know, authentication on the client. So the client handles the authentication. It's all, it, it requires OAuth. So it's all OAuth. So this is, that's what it is. So it, it really is all about mobile, even though it's supposed to not be. And if you think it's about mobile, you're wrong, except you're not really wrong. It really <laughs> pretty much is about mobile. So anyway. So anyway. Sorry for the rat hole. No, it was good. You're passionate rat, about it. We need a rat hole sound effect. <laughs> we have to, this, is shows, this is a sound effect show, right? That's right. That just we happen to sprinkle on some Salesforce every now and then. <laughs> uh, Hello, everybody. <laughs> well, while we're on rat holes, um, I want to I introduce my own rat hole then, because this just came up uh, last week. Actually, I don't think I read it till like Friday. Um. It was an article by, do you know who Matt Assay is? Yep. Do you? I had yep. no idea who he was before this. But anyways, I don't know where I picked up this article. I picked it up somewhere, and it was, Why You Should Buy Only From Tech Leaders, Not Haters. Did you happen to read that article? Um, I don't know. It doesn't sound familiar. Well, <clears throat> I'll just, so here's what he says. He goes, he, part of what he says is, what do Apple, Microsoft, Google, and Salesforce have in common? Each at different times and in different markets has shaped the industry in its image. 
Intriguingly, however, none of these companies was first to their respective marchers. Each was a follower first. And I, I just mentioned that because, you know, obviously we're talking about Salesforce, but we're also, we also like to talk about Apple and Microsoft quite a bit too. But it's kind of a weird article that I don't know what the point is because he's almost kind of saying that the leaders of the industry are the ones that you should be going to, that anyone else who's bashing the leaders, you know, like, you know, whoever Salesforce like is competitor or, or whoever, Oracle like, they, that, that even Salesforce bashes people. I mean, well, that, that was something in the comments. That's what a lot of people were saying that his, his article, his article and his arguments were just unfounded because everyone that he mentioned, I, I mean, Apple attacked Microsoft, Microsoft attacks Apple. They all kind of belittle each other. But it was, it was almost that kind of saying buy from the big guys because the little guys are petty and they're going to they're going to be left in the the big guys dust that the only the only reason that they're kind of taking jabs at them is because it's all they have left. Or the only reason that they're they're priced lower is because they can't compete with these bigger guys. And the only the only the only thing they have left is price. I, I think in some cases that's probably true. I mean, I always kind of feel bad for sugar They They come off as always seeming desperate. And I think that's because they're, they do this type of thing and they're small versus when like Oracle or Salesforce do it. I mean, yeah, it, it's, it's a little uncouth, but at least they're big and successful. Um, and so it, they don't seem quite as desperate. Yeah. I guess to that, that, that is, that does play into it. I mean, there's a certain psychology to all that, but I mean, some of the other things he mentioned was 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 about kind of like the the vision and the leadership of driving that industry. But I don't know, even that. I think I think when a company's young, they definitely do that. And when they've kind of disrupted the industry, they've done that. But once they've kind of settled into that industry, they can't just kind of be this big fat behemoth that's kind of just sitting in everybody's way until someone else comes in and disrupts them. Yeah, they they start coasting on the. I mean, isn't, I feel like Microsoft's done this for 10 years. They, they've co they, they coast on the value that they created, you know, decades ago. Right. And you can really tell they're they're instead of innovating, cause they don't need to innovate. In fact, their biggest problem becomes protecting their existing assets. Right. And so you see them not innovating as much and not being able to take risks and say things that, and do things that a small hungry company that didn't have so many assets to protect would do. Right. And one of the last things he says on this is that it's far better to buy into Apple's insanely great products and vision than a cheaper facsimile. Same goes for buying into Salesforce's vision of a world without installed cumbersome software or Google's mind bendingly cool data driven universe. These are leaders. They're worth buying from They're haters. Not so much. I don't know. The article just yeah. seemed kind of petty to me. It just it really had no substance to it other <laughs> it than to say yeah. I like Apple, Microsoft, Google, and Salesforce, right. and yeah. everyone else sucks. So, <laughs> or or it could be one of these things, like you know. And he's you know so Matt, I don't I don't know all about Matt's background, but he's he's been writing for a long time. That's the only reason I know his name. Um, okay, but uh, well, he's got an impressive bio, that's for sure. So he's yeah, and I don't know what didn't he doesn't he isn't he at Mongo? I know he's most yeah. recently been done stuff at Mongo, but before that he's done stuff with other companies. But yeah, like I said, the only reason I know him is just from, is from his writing mm -hmm. um, and blogging and stuff. Um, but it could be that, you know, he's basically saying you should like the types of companies that pay me money. <laughs> right. I mean, <laughs> oh, you're using this to fuel your journalist integrity you, no, argument. Just, no, I'm just, no, he's not even, I don't even think he, he probably wouldn't even call himself a journalist. Um, so I'm not saying that I'm just saying that there's, everyone has their, own motives and incentives and you have to always kind of follow the money and why, you know, and I'm not saying he's saying that. I mean, it, it's, it sounds like a pretty, 
innocuous article. And I'm, I'm no, picking bits it, and pieces of it. I'm just, I'm just kind of sharing my reaction to it <laughs> as I read it. I, as I was reading it, I was kind of doing these cringes with my face like, huh? Or yeah. that doesn't make sense. Or that's kind of bullshit. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so it was just one of those articles that just didn't make sense to me because it, it seemed, none of it seemed like it was founded in reality to me, at least the way it was worded and the way I read it. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think everyone's felt that before though. You see, you know, the small company or a a little, or a company that's always dogging its competitors, but by doing so it's constantly talking about and getting its competitors name in the, in the press. It's like, this makes no sense. Why are you bashing your competitor by name so much? Because every time you do it, it brings attention to your competitors. Or it it makes makes you look petty. petty. Yeah. And, and like, and like you don't have a focus, you're distracted. You're too worried about what the guys across the street are doing. So, I mean, I, I kind of, I get what he's saying, but I don't know. Anyway, I think there's, I think there's some ways to do it that I don't know. Maybe there isn't a way to do it. It depends on what perspective you have on it. Like I thought the Apple campaigns with PC were pretty hilarious and maybe, I mean, I don't really see that they were hugely unreasonable, but so the genius about that campaign was they didn't name any competitor like other than a cat, a whole category. That's true. It was. They never Mac said and the PC. word Microsoft. They never said the word you know Intel based Windows PCs. They never said any of that kind of stuff. And they, and it was a great campaign. It was really well written and well executed. Yeah. Which which actually buys you a lot of. You can screw some things up if you make people laugh, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think in comparison, I, I think about some of the recent uh, Samsung of ads that I saw and it seemed like they went out of their way to handicap the Apple version of the product versus their version. Like they had one version where they had an iPhone next to one of their, I forgot which one it was, but one of their bigger screen phones and they would show a picture. And this is in landscape mode, by the way, of, you know, a kid and a daughter riding a bike. And on the Samsung, the picture's full screen and everything, but on the, on the iPhone, it's also turned landscape, but it's, it's taken up only a part of the screen. And you know, when you take a screen upright, a picture upright and then you flip it to the side and it kind of loses because of the way you took it. Yeah. So it gets, um, um, black barred. Right. right? Or, yeah. And it, it, and that's what they did. They black barred it so that it looked like your pictures that you take on there would only fill up certain parts of the screen. Right. Or even with the video, I mean, because of the aspect ratios and the difference in sizes and screen, they try to make, you know, the, the black bars on the top and bottom an issue. It's like, uh, old, old TV commercial tricks where, you know, when uh, they would be ca- comparing the name brand ketchup to the cheap ketchup, they would take the name brand ketchup out of the freezer and they would, they would warm up the cheap ketchup so that the cheap ketchup, when they squirted it out, looked all runny and liquidy. And the name brand ketchup looked nice and like viscous and thick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, those kind of tricks insult me because they insult my intelligence. They, they, they make, no, they don't. They challenge your intelligence. They, 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 prove and and uh verify your intelligence either way they're trying to say i'm stupid enough to believe that shit <laughs> i guess so hey we're an hour in can i do a topic i guess if you must <laughs> i thought this was my show <laughs> apparently so oh okay so you didn't you get the memo how- renaming it to john's show oh is that what it is good day john oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, you lose <laughs> Um, okay. So I have been saying for a while and maybe you have to, I'm not sure. I just know I always say this. It'd be nice if like 
when a company signs up for Salesforce, um, that, and they're, they start building, you know, some are doing some customizations or building some kind of internal apps or something that you could just like super easily because they already have a relationship and a contract with Salesforce, already paying Salesforce. Just, you could like under that same contract and agreement, just start spinning up Heroku or not. Yeah. Heroku, um, instances, Heroku apps. Right. Because a lot of things are more easy to do in, you know, Java or Ruby or PHP or whatever, Python, whatever you're doing, mm-hmm. um, then it would be to do on force.com. Um, currently as it stands or until now, the, you're those, you know, you'd have to have a separate contract with, with Heroku. You may have to go to Heroku and you have to sign up and give them your credit card. And it's a separate thing. And you know, that's just another conversation with the CIO or whoever that you have to have to try to, you know, to explain why it is that you need to get another service and not, yes, I need your credit card again. And is that okay? And here's what they estimate to cut, you know, all that stuff. Right. right. Um, which you just end up avoiding and building it in force.com because it's, even though it's technology wise, it's not the best solution. Um, it may be politically an easier thing to get done. Well, so now, um, supposedly, uh, Salesforce, so the, the, uh, what is it? Uh, Salesforce bundles force.com and Heroku as part of new enterprise push. So I guess, um, uh, let's see, uh, as Salesforce, blah, blah, blah. Um, but this bundles together Heroku and with force.com for an easy to consume platform as a service. Um, customers will be able to subscribe to force.com and Heroku with a single click enabled enabling developers and operations teams to get everything they need to build and scale applications that tie into the larger Salesforce platform in lockstep within a single pricing model. So that's pretty awesome. And I don't know why it took them four years to do it, but I'm glad they're doing it. No, that is awesome. I just, <clears throat> is that really going to help though? I mean, it's going to help me because I don't have to have that separate conversation and navigate those politics. Are you saying you're going to, you're going to have an easier time at recommending that something custom should be done on Heroku versus uh, apex or ideally I, it's just a conversation I don't even have to have. I mean, cause it's, if it's, if you're, if you've already bought both, you've already signed up and are, you're contracted for both. That, services, that's assuming then, a company that has already bought both though. It's, it's not, it's not automatic. You get Heroku, right? Well, this, I don't, I don't, I'm, it's not clear to me whether you automatically get it, but you know, I'm just reading the words of this. Customers will be able to subscribe to force.com and Heroku with a single click. So I mean, I'm assuming when you sign up with Salesforce, you're getting, you're signing up for both at once. Hmm. And so once you're signed up for Salesforce, you're also signed up for Heroku and you know, you can, you can immediately get in and start spinning up new Heroku apps without having to, in, you know, enter your credit card. See, number I wonder again. if that just means that they integrated it with the billing system, meaning whenever you go to buy new licenses for a use for, for an org, if there's also the ability to buy new licenses for Heroku. Uh, no, because Heroku is not licensed like that at all. Well, let's see. That's the thing. It, it's, it is licensed differently. I just meant you can buy more. What do they call them? Um, well, you have dinos or whatever. Di- well, so apps are made of dinos. Yeah. <laughs> you have to, the first thing you do is you have to create an app, but right. I mean, so maybe, maybe, you know, the way the contract with Salesforce reads now is that, you know, if, Basically, you're also getting Heroku. If you choose to use Heroku, you know, of course, Heroku is completely usage-based billing. So if you choose to use Heroku, then you're going to get, in addition to the fact that you just prepaid for a year or two or three of your Salesforce licenses, um, you'll get usage-based. It's kind of like uh, hotels where they call them incidentals. You know, you're going to get at the end of the month, you'll you'll either get a bill from us or we'll just take your credit card now and we'll just auto-bill you for your incidentals, Mm -hmm. your Heroku incidentals. (laughs) 
<laughs> you, can, you can have your, your Heroku and your porn movie charge your credit card automatically. <laughs> <laughs> and your uh, $8 bottled water. Uh, I wonder how many HR people have had to deal with that. I don't know. Probably a lot. <laughs> it was an action. I meant to choose uh, 48 hours part redux or whatever it's called. <laughs> you know, so, uh, uh, man. Well, I, another 48 hours. That was what it was. But right? I think, I think licensing. <laughs> yeah, whatever. <laughs> licensing is only half the battle though. I think the other part is, but at least because it's we're not, half the battle we're not, I don't have to fight anymore. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, like, but we're, we're not, not employees of a company that's asking us to do work. And, and part of custom development is the ability to maintain it. And so sometimes saying, hey, let's use Oroku and do all this functionality means that they not only have to find someone who can help them maintain their Salesforce code, but now also whatever you built it in, whether it's Ruby or Java. You know what? When the lights go out, you have to be able to call an electrician. And when the toilets back up, you have to call a plumber. And yes, these are skill sets. And But they're, sometimes you do the right tool for the job. You don't try to power your lights by uh, by iron pipe. I know, but you, 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 know, you and I both know that the reality is when Salesforce sells a platform to a company, a company expects that they're going to be able to do a lot more with that, not just CRM. One of the selling points is, hey, you've got all these internal apps. Why don't you put those on the Salesforce? And now all the users are using those apps as long with, alongside the CRM. And now your whole okay. organization is, is running off Salesforce. That's fine. And I, the type of Heroku apps I'm talking about would be ones that they'd, you'd access them from within Salesforce. Maybe you're even doing Canvas apps, but they're, just, they're, they're hosted on Heroku, but you still access them. 100% through Salesforce, or you certainly could if you wanted to build it that way. No, I understand that part. I guess what I'm saying is that people expect that they're going to be able to use their drag and drop tools and everything in Salesforce to build these apps. Oh, well that's, yeah, that would be a complete misconception. I wouldn't, and I would never uh, intentionally have someone think that, but, but even Salesforce, just Salesforce nowadays. I mean, I know very experienced and well-respected consultants who who don't know major parts of Salesforce nowadays because Salesforce has gotten so big. There are so many different modules and especially with all the acquisitions. No, that's true. I mean, find seeing, me someone that knows. We're seeing a lot so more specializing. Someone, find, find someone that knows me that, that knows content. Um, yeah. Radiant six buddy, you know, all these different things. I mean, you, you really have to specialize. So there's yeah. no, you know, it's a, I don't know. I mean, I hear what you're saying, but yeah, I mean, just. So these things all require skills. There's no one saying they don't. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Salesforce and the ecosystem is definitely getting big and to a point where you now need to specialize. Whereas before, when we started out doing this, we knew everything about the system. And now it's almost impossible to know everything about the system. Uh, even stuff I used to do a lot, I go back and do and go, crap, I forgot how to do this. And I have to relearn so the, it. So this, um, and I've seen this other places too, but this article that I, that um, and it was in SiteWorld, C-I-T-E. I don't know how you pronounce that siteworld.com. Um, but I've seen this other places, but they, they, okay. So, uh, what I just made it out to myself. It's odd that Salesforce is marketed as the enterprise solution and Heroku is the small business solution. Really? Um, yeah. Cause in many, in, in so I can see how in some aspects they say that because I think Salesforce is an enterprise CRM, but I don't think it's in, and I know people would, some people would disagree with me, the, uh, Kool-Aid drinking sycophants, but as a platform, as a service, it's not at enterprise level. Whereas I can build enterprise level apps on Heroku. Um, but yeah, so it says, I did uh, not Heroku, follow that trade thought at all. 
Yeah, it probably didn't make any sense. So, well, let me let me read you a quote from the article, okay. which may, might make more sense. Heroku, which began its life as a startup before getting acquired by Salesforce in late 2010, is much more friendly to the cutting edge of software development with support for the latest languages and architectures and is easier to scale. So saying that Heroku is more cutting edge and easier to scale. But Force.com brought security, which I guess Heroku didn't have security, a better authentication story, well, you couldn't authenticate with Heroku, and rapid iteration, what, you couldn't do that with Heroku, get push Heroku master, and all around enterprise (laughs) cred, enterprise cred, I love that, to the table. I love when they throw the slang, the enterprise slang, like they're, I got some enterprise I'm surprised they didn't end that with YOLO. (laughs) Uh, Exactly. I should end more things with YOLO. No, you shouldn't. Uh, yeah, so I don't, I don't get that. I mean, I, I don't know. Like I said, in certain ways, I think from an application perspective, maybe Salesforce is is more enterprise. Um, but from uh, and from that, I mean, from an out of the box CRM app. Anyway, I don't know. You know, some of these, some of these. I think the points that, people, that were made there are true. I mean, it definitely is cutting edge. It's definitely, it's definitely on the newer side of technology than it is more the traditional stuff. And enterprise is a little bit more about the tried and true what's been tested and stabilized and what's everyone using. Um, I I swear that it says that Heroku is easier to scale. I mean, and and again, I think this, I think this depends on which aspect you're talking about. And some, in some dimensions, force.com is it transparently scales for you. And it's great. Of course, in some dimensions, it doesn't at all. And so it depends on what you're talking about. Just like, you know, if you're going to build an app on Heroku, you have to build it to be a uh, horizontally scalable. And if not, it's not, and that's not necessarily easy to do. Right. So to say that Heroku is easier to scale, I just, I think for the parts like that said, they manage that they that, can control, these, those parts these, are easy. These bloggers, or I don't even want to use the word analyst because most of them, do, they do very little analysis. Um, they, they write this crap all the time. They have no idea what they're talking about. They're just basically, uh, summarizing what like blog posts they've read from all their colleagues and P and press releases. And they're just, you know, churning out, you know, 12 of these short form like articles every day. It's just terrible. Anyway, why does everything put me in a bad mood? I don't know. <laughs> just sad. Okay. Ugh. Um, so I've, so I gotta get, I gotta get some other things in here. We're running out of time. Okay. My my second prediction, my second and final prediction, is that Oracle is going to buy Salesforce. Are you going off of Twitter picks? <clears throat> what is Twitter picks? Uh, Benioff has been posting a couple of picks lately. Parties have been going to, and there he is next to. Um, do, do you think I follow Mark Benioff on Twitter? You don't. <laughs> I don't have the stomach to. <laughs> I can't take it. He actually doesn't post that much. Every so often he does, but not as much as you would think. Most most of the marketing stuff happens on sales on the at Salesforce. Well, and and also, um, I'm sure that via retweets, there's not a single post he does on Twitter that I don't see. So I don't have to follow Mark. Oh, I follow him uh, through my well, through my continue. network. Continue. Tell me why why you think Oracle's going to buy Salesforce? Well, I think it's going to come <laughs> relatively soon. I would say within within I'm going to say during sometime in 2014. And and if they don't buy them, they're they're at least going to make an they're going to try they're going to make an offer. It could get hostile, um, but uh, I I think so. I don't know. Oracle just you know they're huge and they're profitable. Concept that 
Mark Benioff doesn't seem to understand, but they, their growth is stagnated. I mean, I, I, you know, if you look at their revenue or just, I don't know, I, I just don't see, I don't see much upside from Oracle, but they've got, they've got, um, you know, a big market cap. I think it's like three or four times sales forces at this point. Mm-hmm. But that differential is, oh, there's a spider hanging down. And it's right in front of my face. Wow. Cool. Um, stay away from me, please, spider. That differential between, you know, the market cap of Oracle and Salesforce is, you know, it's shrinking. And so I think, I think they feel like they're, they have to, they need to make a move. And if they're going to, they have to do it soon while they still, you know, have the assets to do so. And I mean, imagine how, you know, so Oracle's, they're one of the few companies that could buy Salesforce. And I mean, what an exit strategy for Salesforce. I mean, for Mark to leave the mothership, build out this, you know, huge, I mean, change the software business, basically build out this huge company into a $5 billion a year company, thousands of employees, you know, tens of thousands of customers, hundreds of thousands of users, and then to sell it back to the, to the mothership for, and for what for him would probably be billions of dollars, personal profit. Um, Wow. I mean, he, he, why would he not take that deal and then just live in Hawaii the rest? I mean, he already, he already lives there half the time, right? Just he wouldn't chill. <clears throat> he wouldn't. I don't think he would ever sell well, it. You know, but you know, oh, you know what? Sorry. No, I didn't. I didn't hit. That was not Benny. That was not classic Benioff. It would free him up to do a lot more um, charity work. <sighs> That's the only argument that would give me pause. And, and, and he would join the ranks of Warren Buffett and Bill Gates and all these guys. Yeah. No, I, I mean, I, tell me, tell me that would not be appealing to him. I think it, I, I think it would give him pause, but I don't think he would sell it. I, I, I think, I, I think you're right. I think Oracle may, and it wouldn't surprise me if they did try. But I think Benioff would do everything he could to not sell it. So, a quick spider update: it descended into my MacBook Pro somewhere, like it went down in the the air vents, like right where the screen is attached. You got a bug in your computer. Let's <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, see what else. There's a bunch of other. Well, hold on, it's, I want to say. Boring. Okay. I, I think right. Benioff would not sell it because I think he aligns himself closer with Steve Jobs than anybody in his mind, and and that ideal is that he wants to change the way software. What did Steve? He do wants right to change before? the software what, industry. How did, how did Steve get back to Apple? Yeah, but he was kicked out. If Benioff no, is kicked no, out, no, no, that's no. a different story. Yeah, but still, he he sold his company. That's how he got back into Apple. He sold Next Up or Next. <clears throat> yeah, but to so, get back to his company that he got kicked out of, so he could continue to do great things. Yeah, Benioff. But I don't. I don't think you want a hundred percent model yourself after Steve Jobs because he didn't seem like that happy of a person. He died at a pretty young age. Uh, he had you know his family. He was estranged from. Um, I, you know, I don't think you want to follow the Steve Jobs model. I'm not saying that he's going to follow it like that. I'm just saying that I, one specific aspect of it is that Jobs innovated and disrupted industries, and I think sales. I think Benioff want has done and wants to continue to do that with Salesforce. He may. I mean, maybe. I, I mean, yeah. We're just. That's a good point. We're just conjecturing here, but. Maybe he feels like he's not done, but he's, it's been 15 years, you know, and what is it? How old is Mark now? Almost 50. Yeah. But knowing that, that where Salesforce is at, if it gets sold to Oracle, it's going to die. 
No, it's going to get no, folded into so. their tool set. It's going to become no, this, this no, standard it's offering. It's not, it's not going to innovate anymore <laughs> because they're just going to ride on it for however long, because they've got all the licenses they need. And that's where it's going to sit. It's not going to innovate but, anymore from that point but, on. But Salesforce, you know, they have this huge market cap and it would convert that to cash so that Mark could go and be a, I'm just saying sorry, that if he, if, but he, he could really go and be this, you know, multi-billionaire philanthropist, which is, which is, I think how, what he wants. And that, ultimately that's what he wants to spend that's his fine. time doing. That's fine. I think so. But what, what I'm saying is my opinion is that if that does happen, Salesforce will die. Oh, it well, will get well, folded into to the offering. Yeah. Okay. It'll be just another CRM that Oracle owns. There will be no any further innovation of it because they have no track record of, record of taking the, the acquisitions they have made and made and innovated on top of them. They've just maintained well, that customer they base. They managed to make a lot of to make a lot of profit, though. Again, which is the thing that Salesforce. Yeah, but Salesforce seem to... is spending all that money that they normally would be profit into R and D, into to continue well, to try really to more... disrupt that industry. No, no, you're actually. Oh, well, I, I think that's a mischaracterization. I think that they've spent more. They continue to spend more and more money on acquisitions, and sales and marketing costs keep going up more than R and D. Well, yeah, I mean, you got to keep the lights on, but. They're still investing quite a bit in R and D. Yeah, um, yeah, definitely. But anyway, at some point, you know, I mean, it's been fifteen years. Can we? I mean, let's make some money. Because <laughs> I mean, here, here's the Do deal: you have stock? It, it's no, I don't. <laughs> uh, which is what uh, that's why you're mad. No, I don't. I don't have. That's stock. why you're mad because you don't have stock. You want them to make money. I mean, I'd, I'd like them to make. I mean, I want Salesforce to be successful. Um, no doubt about it. It's that, that definitely disclosure is in my interest, <clears throat> but no, I don't own stock. I don't do, well, I, I probably threw, I'd probably do through funds, but I don't, I don't buy individual stocks. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it would be interesting. Um, it would be a way to, you know, again, convert all this equity to cash, but oh, I, was, I don't know what I was going to say. I think it's soon. So Salesforce, one thing they can, they continue to meet generally expectations on revenue growth because they're so their revenue is growing, you know, pretty well. As soon as they, because they've not been profitable and there's, they've raised a lot of questions. Actually, it, Salesforce has single-handedly raised questions about the entire SaaS model to the investment community. Everyone's wondering, you know, as, cause as Salesforce, as they get bigger and bigger, it's costing them more and more to get bigger and to grow their, their growth. You know, does that make sense? Every, every unit of growth co- is costing them more to get that. And so the question is, is are they going to be able to be profitable? And if they, as soon as they miss a revenue target and their, which will show their growth starting to taper off, that's when their stock is going to take a beating. And it might be nice if they're, if they sell before that happens. That's a good point. <clears throat> but anyway, it's all, you know, but put it in the book. I'm <laughs> predicting this this year. This year, uh, let's huh? see. all right. Let's see. Oh, um, let's see. New partner community, boring. Um, although I did see that if you're a consulting partner, you still have to use the old partner portal. That's still your that we don't have to. That's still your main thing. Do you do you ever use this partner portal? No, and actually, if you're an ISV, you still use the old partner portal for co- for creating cases and managing your instances. Uh, right. So you don't have to use that. You don't use that partner portal for anything. No. No. Okay. It is the new partner portal is geared towards ISVs. It is some of the worst software that's ever been written. <laughs> it's terrible. Um, I've seen it. I've seen it. It's bad. Um, Colin Powell joins Salesforce's board of directors. Yeah, I saw that. You know, predictable, kind of boring. Um, 
What is the reasoning behind that, by the way? I, uh, well, so, you know, I don't know. I mean, did so he just kind of just they, invest quite a bit more into the place? And oh, I don't, I don't, I don't know if he's invested at all. Uh, you know, he's, you know, Colin Powell and uh, Mark Benef have been buddies for a while. You know, it's not uncommon for General Powell to, uh, to do, uh, keynotes and things. Um, he's, uh, uh, Powell's also, you know, he's, he's on the board of, or he's involved in, what is isn't he in, uh, Kleiner Perkins? one of the, maybe some other VC type stuff. Yeah. So it's not, it's not uncommon. Well, you know, it would have, it would have been nice if they had someone who, if they would have added someone who has experience making companies profitable. Um, and I'd, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know that he's had any experience actually running companies, but, um, yeah, I don't know. It, to me, it's so kind it's of boring and predictable. Strategic. They're, they're buddies. I mean, they're, <laughs> and strategic I think, alliance. <clears throat> I think more and more also, um, they're, you know, politically oriented as well. So I don't know if that, to what degree that has something to do with it, but yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, not surprising. I mean, it was, it's, it was like, Oh, that's interesting, but no, not surprising. You know, cause right. they're just, he's been, he's been around the Salesforce world for a while. Um, spring 14 delayed again. What is this like three months now? No, it was all, it, it was supposed to come out a couple of weeks ago. Dude, only in a one. It's, this is my understanding right now. In a one, I believe is on spring 14 and it's the only it's only a pod that's on spring 14. And I think anyone is mainly Salesforce only. It used to be it, others. And I remember being enterprise and on anyone and they moved us off to another one. And I think one of the reasons they said was they were making that like the Salesforce one, the Salesforce pod. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I still know. I, I know of companies that are still on NA one, but yeah, they're on. That's, that's how I know they're on spring 14, but I think all the other ones are delayed. But the weird thing was NA one went to spring 14 what, like a month ago. Something like that, and or maybe before, maybe or maybe two months ago, I can't remember. But I just looked before we started, and uh, it, Spring fourteen is not going to be rolled out to the other pods until April, like mid-April. Hmm. So that'll be like three months <clears throat> that some Salesforce customers are on one version and some are on another. Three months. I really don't think there's that many people on any one that are not. Primarily Salesforce employees. Well, Salesforce is mainly on SSL. Do you even do you know about SSL? That pod? No. It's literally called SS. It's on, but that was before NA one. SSL was the first. So it's, you log in and then you're at SSL.salesforce.com. Nope. That's the one that the originals are on. Huh. Um, NA one was after SSL, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I don't know which. I don't know how many are on NA one or. To what degree it's like all internal Salesforce, but I do know there are, I mean, I know companies that are still in NA1. So, but yeah, a lot of them got split off because, you know, NA1 for a while was like, it, it was SSL and NA1. That was it. Yeah. And they started splitting NA1 into some of the other NA2 and so on. Uh, but yeah, that's just, although, you know, I mean, I don't, I don't really I'd rather they get, get the, it right. No, I, I that's about to say, I mean, you know, there's one thing to be said for time boxes and just like, Hey, whatever's ready when the time box is over is what ships. And obviously they're not doing that. Um, but you know, I'm not going to get dogmatic about that. I don't really care. I, I, it needs to be, it's better to be light and even really light than, than really broken. Cause they've done broken before <laughs> and they've done really bad rollouts before. And those are pretty bad. And you know, if, you know, less egg on their face to, de- to keep delaying than to roll out a really bad release. Right. So, yeah. And I guess get on them for just, you know, delaying it. Cause that's not fun either. No. So, uh, Salesforce is 15 years old. Yep. Yeah. I didn't see anything exciting. I mean, just, just a lot of reminiscing and the, the pictures that are posted on Twitter about first office server and, and someone's in Mark's closet or something. And wires hanging. Out, whatever. Okay. 
I mean, that's, you know, I didn't work there, so it's not uh, nostalgic for me. Or yeah. Anything, but it's, yeah, it's good. probably definitely, definitely cooler for the guys involved. I'm, I'm not going to pretend to have some kind of attachment to those. Uh, but uh, happy uh, quinceanera to Salesforce. <laughs> uh, um, let's see. Oh, what happened to the Salesforce incubator? I, I was, do you remember that? Nope. This started this like around when they launched the app exchange. And I, ju- I don't know what I was reading. I was just reading through news trying to prepare. And I ran across it. And I was like, yeah, what happened to that? They, they launched it around the, um, the app exchange time. I think it was like 06, 07, something like that. And, uh, they bought like a couple of floors on a build in a building to bring in so that startups that were going to build Salesforce apps, you know, Salesforce would provide them with, you know, space and resources and everything. I think it just died. But anyway, uh, it's because they spent that money on a, on a Dreamforce <laughs> developer conference competition. <laughs> that's true. Yeah. Well, no, this was right before that, but <laughs> no, they had to, let's see what the oh, 0607. So when did they, they, they had to buy, um, like Cyndia or what was Instranet or one of those earlier in uh, who knows. Um, I have, I have a bunch of other stuff here, but, um, so I guess another big news is, so Salesforce had their, um, earnings release. They, uh, they beat revenue targets, but you know, they keep, they keep losing money, but they, they focus. It's funny, kind of funny how they focus on, uh, the non gap versus gap. Cause you know, if you, if you, if you're doing a, a gap, if you're using gap rules, then they've, they've lost money, but you know, Salesforce like 57 times during their earnings call <laughs> use the word non gap because they really want to, but uh, yeah, so their loss was $116 million. It's 19, 19 cents a share. Um, non gap earnings were seven cents a share. So they actually made money non gap, but you know, that's like not counting these pesky things like, uh, stock options for employees and interests and all that kind of stuff. Right. Um, let's see. <clears throat> ah, boring, boring, boring. Um, Oh, it's kind of funny. A lot of their revenue boost was actually from the exact target, um, acquisition. So I wonder, I don't know what the numbers are, but if you pulled that exact target acquisition out of the numbers, if they're, how much the revenue would be up. That was a big chunk of the revenue, supposedly. Really? Yeah. Uh, subscription support revenues were up 37%, while professional services and other revenue shot up 43%. So they're really, they're really um, boosting professional services. You know, I always hear, like every year it changes, whether the Salesforce is trying to get out of the PS business and give more of that to partners, or at least subcontract that, which I guess would still be, it would still hit Salesforce's books if they subcontracted. But... But man, when I hear them say, you know, when I see these, these professional services numbers going way up, I'm thinking, wow, that's, that's interesting for partners, right? Cause that's just business that partners aren't getting 70 million annually for PS. Wow. Yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> I, I think just like even in, even in the community out there, how it's really hard to specialize and be a known of everything. I don't I think the Salesforce professional services has the same issue. Yeah. And I guess that, in the grand scheme of things, it's, it's like 7% of their revenue or even less than that. So it's, it's not a big piece of their business. I think, I think honestly they do PS because they have to, Yeah, I think if they had their choice, they would not do any PS whatsoever, but you know, some of their bigger customers just were just require that Salesforce be the ones who service them. Yeah. I was going to say, I think that it's primarily to service a very specific uh, type of company. 
Yeah. You know, those that are probably eligible for, you know, their own pods and those kind of things. So I, I saw another as more kind of analytical, like why did Salesforce you didn't, you or, didn't take the opportunity to do a super pod. I'm disappointed. <laughs> we even had the echo did, and everything we, set up. Did we talk about super pod? When did we talk about super pod? A long time ago. No, I was talking about pods. Trust me. Oh, and I said, if, and I said, I was going to talk about super pods. No, I'm just saying, I said that, that, that <laughs> the professional services is probably catering it to people who qualify for things like their own pod, their own super oh, pod. Yeah. Just do it for me. <laughs> the HP Flipper Pod. Oh, I love it. That was pretty good. It was. I have to clip that one. <laughs> you just clip it so you don't have to do it again. It's hard for me to perform on demand. You know, I need to clip that so I can just hit a button. <laughs> yeah, I heard right. that about you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, sales, so, okay. Salesforce is continuing to spend more to earn less. Non-gap profit margin declined 6.9% in Q4 and an 8.9% for the full year. Um, while investors typically aren't concerned about profitability at smaller fast growth companies, it's hard to make that argument for a company that is a market leader in its category and is already doing over $4 billion in revenue. That's what I'm saying. Like you're already a, you're a, basically a $5 billion company. Like, come on, you know, like you've at some point, like you're not a little fledgling startup anymore. Um, by the time you'd reach that size, you'd be seeing increasing returns to scale, not the opposite. When you look at actual gap accounting, which you probably should be, things look like they're going to continue to get worse. For fiscal 15, 2015, the company's own guidance calls for EPS to decline further into losses. Hmm. Um, well, maybe that see. supports your Oracle theory. I th- I think it, I mean, it, really, it makes it, it makes it a buyout more attractive. I mean, yeah. if you know, if you've built up, huge revenues and a huge uh, market cap. Like now take advantage of that. Just cash out. So you don't have to do the hard part of making the company profitable. I mean, okay. So once you factor out all the benefit, the company's gained from its um, recent exact target, target, exact target acquisition, (laughs) plus the impact of their continued effort to switch more customers to annual rather than quarterly contracts, the organic growth of the company's core business comes in at a more pedestrian 25%. So growth is it like I said, you take out exact target and it's tapering. And I think it's like I said, as soon as they don't hit a, a revenue target, uh they're gonna be in trouble. It's gonna hit it's gonna hit them the uh the stock price big time. Um what do you get for your sixty three dollars per share entry price? Not much more than a dream and a prayer. Um Salesforce's thirty seven percent revenue growth yielded next to next to nothing for shareholders. Um uh, let's see. Anytime a tech house's disparity is wide between gap and non-gap, I look for share dilution. For this baby, it's enormous. Uh, there's a near forty billion market cap piece of paper. Uh, share count share count bulged thirty three million shares. So that's how much they're diluting shares right now. Um, <clears throat> Sixty dollars a share. Management key employees receive compensation of two billion over, which is over five percent of the company's market cap minus. Uh, zero adjusted earnings. Another slant onto this is that insiders basically received 40% of the company's projected revenues for 2014. Wow. Um, this guy says, I've never seen a construct like this, but I haven't looked too zealously. The norm is management staff usually are awarded 10 to 15% of earnings. Um, even that ratio is considered generous. Uh, Qualcomm's case and others where the chief executive sets research and development priorities, blah, blah, blah. Okay. For that, he'd accept this 15% con- construct. Um, 
Oh, so yeah, sole pivotal metric is revenue growth, which uh, my house analyst pegs at 31% this year and 24% for 2015. If he misses by one percentage point, the stock surely tanks and I'd push him out the office window. <laughs> I like this guy. He's funny. Um, Sounds like this guy isn't getting free trips from Salesforce anytime no, soon. he's not. No, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> if he was, he's not anymore. That's for sure. Um Optimistic projections of other e- metrics like EBITDA and operating margins, if you accept, which EBITDA is uh, earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, and amortization. If you accept them, put Salesforce at an EBITDA ratio this year uh, near 40 times. Um, even if operating margins move from negative to positive 10%, earnings total up to $0.47 cents a share. This is about 120 times on a price earnings measurement. Let's assume they make $300 million this year. It's possible but management likely awards itself another 30 million shares worth 2 billion or more. Oh, oh man, this guy just goes on, but it's not, it's, it's a precarious situation, I guess is I'll just summarize the rest of this. Um, yeah, they're kind of almost at a hell Mary situation. They've got to do something. And I don't know. They basically, they've, they've been growing and paying people with stock, which is, and they're, I mean, basically they're having, they're going to going massive dilution, which, which the investment community has been tolerating, but only because Salesforce has been growing so much. If they, if they, like, that's what I'm saying. If they, if they next quarter come in and miss, or they don't impress with their revenue, they may lose all that goodwill and they can really take a hit. So mm. yeah, I don't know. So doom and gloom. Uh, <clears throat> so uh, what, what's, what's the, what's the uh, standard uh, disclaimer: This is not this is not investment advice. We're not lawyers. We're not investment analysts. Uh, don't listen to us, or you'll probably end up being poor. <laughs> talk to your, <laughs> talk to your retirement uh. consultant. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I think if I think if Mark made the, or the board or whoever's making these calls, I think if they decided they wanted to be profitable, they could flip the switch and quit blowing so much money and they'd be profitable. Yeah. But I think they keep having that when they have these conversations internally, they keep their strategies continues to be, let's, let's keep growing and acquiring um, in lieu of profit for now. I just don't know how long that makes sense. I mean, it, again, at some point, don't you have to be profitable? I mean, don't you have to return something to the shareholders? So interesting. So that's something to watch. I guess in another couple of months, we'll be able to find out what's happening. <clears throat> what are we in an hour and a half now? Yeah. What'd you bring to drink? Um, I'm drinking, uh, I might've been drinking this last time. I can't remember, but that's, it's called a traditional elder fashioned. You ever heard of that? No. I talked about an that. elder fashion. Yeah. So it's, it's basically, it's kind of like an old fashioned, um, which is just bourbon an orange, a little sugar and bitters. Right. Um, but instead of the sugar and the orange, you do St. Germain, which is a, an, like an elderberry flower liqueur. St. Germain. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> we said your name, Germain. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> um, I'm going to kick out of that. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, so it's, um, so it adds a little bit of this like floral. It's like a, it's almost like an old fashioned, but it's got a little bit of a more floral aspect to it, which is, you know, I kind of like it. It's nice. What about you? I modified my drink because you had recently given me a gift <clears throat> of a cognac. And so I took my, what I was going to make, which was a Kentucky mule and turned it into a French mule. Oh, is that a thing? It is a thing. Okay. <laughs> I was like, I have everything to make my Kentucky mule, but I really want to use this cognac. 
And I go, cognac is French, right? <laughs> Somebody look yep. up Google French French mule. <laughs> it's a thing. <laughs> so, okay, so what's in a French mule? Cognac and lemon and um, ginger ale lime or ginger or beer. Is it, it's not lime? You can use lime or lemon. Okay. Yeah. Cognac and ginger. Uh, that's interesting. Yeah, it's pretty good. And I'm using this um, Reed's um, extra ginger ginger beer. Okay, so you got a good one. Yeah, yeah that's good. I bought a. Um, so we normally use. Um, are you familiar with this brand of like soft drink called Hanson's? You can get it in yep. like better grocery store. Okay, so they're really good stuff, actually. Yeah, I remember um, you buying them by the cases. Yep, and we still do. <laughs> but no, we buy their their diet ginger ale, and it's really it's really tasty, and there's no calories. It's it tastes like a quality ginger beer. Um, but, um, I've recently discovered this world of like, you can buy um, these really high end like tonic syrups and also ginger beer syrups. They basically like, like these super small batch, like high end tonic, right. But they, mm-hmm. they reduce it down to a syrup and then sell you the syrups. So I, I bought both of those on Amazon and I can't remember the brand name, but yeah, we have this like two pound jar of ginger beer syrup. And so anytime I'd make something with ginger, what it would call for ginger beer, I just use like, you know, like a half an ounce or maybe an ounce of this syrup. And then you just do soda water for the rest. And of course we, um, we have a soda stream. So I was going to so say, you must have, have a soda stream because I don't, I yeah. don't have carbonated water on hand. <laughs> oh man. Soda stream is a must. It's, it makes so much sense. Isn't it a pain it's though? Re- you have those big canisters no, you have to go and exchange easy. all the time. No, it's really easy. So you, first of all, you can do it almost anywhere. We do it at Target, which is we have a Target right here next door to us. Are they a sponsor? Are we doing a commercial right now? <laughs> no. <laughs> but no, so and we have two. So we bought an extra an extra canister or you know, gas can. So we always have a spare one. So when one goes out, we just we replace it. Mm-hmm. And then the next time we go to Target, we just it's an and you just go to the customer service and they just exchange it for you. It's really easy. And it's and it's much cheaper. So I originally got the the old fashioned soda, what do they call them? Um the kind that the old timey bartenders would use where they put the little, yeah, oh, that's what they call the, yeah, the guys. The, yeah. Um, anyway, I can't really think of the name, but, but you put the little CO2 cartridge in uh-huh. the second, same, same kind of cartridge using a, in a pellet gun. Um, and, uh, but those are, I, I did the math finally. Cause I, and I bought like a hundred CO2 cartridges. Cause that's how I mean, I like to buy in bulk. What? You had a hundred like CO2 cartridges later. No, I did. And I, yeah. I, I oh, cause they were the smaller somewhere. ones. I, th- I think Sarah might've either thrown them away or sold them on eBay or something. Yeah. They're the small ones. I don't think you can ship those. I think you have to like special licensing. Yeah, to yeah, ship I, think, them. I do think you have to have a license, yeah. but anyway, um, so I think we might've thrown them away or sold them on Craigslist or something. I don't know. Um, but I did the math and like the soda stream is, even though it's a proprietary canister, which of course, you know, that gets me right it's proprietary. It's like they are the only ones who have it. It is way cheaper. And the machine works. The machine itself is cheap. We just bought like the low end model, but it works great. It's great. My brother-in-law has one. It's pretty pretty good. I've had it, but yeah, uh, I'm too lazy. (laughs) No, that's why we have it. Cause we are lazy. It's way. Did we drink so much between? So we both just, just drink like club soda just for, instead of like a Coke. Um, and then also, you know, anytime we need tonic water or ginger ale or, you know, any of that kind of stuff, we've, we've got it. We go through so much and we would be lugging just like hundreds of pounds of club soda home every month. If we didn't have a soda stream. Uh, well, you're they, the second person to recommend it to me. So maybe with that, with, <laughs> with that endorsement, they should sponsor. <laughs> well, maybe I'll get one. I've had a few people recommend it and, <clears throat> I don't know. 
Have you tried the cognac neat yet? Or just with like a like half cognac, half water? Yeah, and just a little yeah I did. Right before I made the drink, I tried it. Um, what do you think? It was good. I liked it. It, it reminded me... It reminded me a little bit of my, not my first taste of scotch, because that was horrible, but <clears throat> it reminded me of after I started getting used to the scotch, something along those lines. There's a bit of a spiciness, but it, it's very fruity, it was, isn't it? But yeah, then the fruit came in and it was, and then once the water, well, I added some water and then I added some ice because it was still, I still wasn't really able to drink it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once, once that got into it, I, I could start tasting a little bit more of the fruitiness and it was really good. So yeah, I like it. I appreciate it. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, are we done? We are done. Good day, sir. <laughs> I like that one. Good day, sir. That's a good one. All right. See ya.